You're listening to the Radiant Church Podcast. Worship with us on Sundays in Kansas City, or join us in June for our youth and young adult conference called Bold. Well, good morning. How are we doing today? Hey, I'm excited to be here. I believe God wants to encourage us today to live with bravery. But first, let's look at the text. It's in Matthew chapter 8. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there with me or open whatever app you're choosing to use today. So Matthew chapter 8, and it says this. It says, And when he got into the boat, that's Jesus, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. But he was asleep. And they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. So let's pray. Jesus, we look to you today. God, we lock eyes with you and we ask you to to impart a new sense of bravery, a new sense of courage into our hearts and into our lives. We need you. You're the only one who can do this in our hearts, Jesus. We love you. And all of Radiant Church said amen. Amen. So Everyone shops, right? And it doesn't matter if you're a Home Depot person or you're REI, Shields, Amazon. Everyone buys things, correct? You with me? You're like, yes. My wife's been talking about the Nordstrom anniversary sale for, I think, six months. I guess it's a big deal. I don't know. Um, But anyway, have you ever noticed the safety tags that are on the products that you purchase? Have you ever actually took time and read those safety labels. They're, they're so funny to me because you would think what they're articulating would be obvious, but they have to put these on there because there's no relational proximity. There's no closeness in the relationship. So they have to articulate the details of how you're supposed to use whatever product it is. Let me give you some examples. Um, does everyone own an iron in here? Do you have iron? Okay. Have you ever noticed on an iron, if you read the safety label on an iron, it says, do not use while you're wearing the clothes. Come on, let's be real. Last service today, I'm sure. Who's done that? Anybody? Oh, uh, exactly. I'll I'll have you talk to the life safety team after service. What other products are there? Let's see. There's drills. It says this. The warning label says not to be used as a dental instrument. I don't know how high your deductible is. There's no way I'm going to get out of Makita or something like that and say, hey, you know what? It's just not worth it. Give me a mirror. I think I got this. You know, it's not happening, at least not in my house. All right, you know those windshield um, car reflectors, the heat reflectors, like the aluminum things you put on, on your dash to reflect the sun, help keep your car cool? You guys know what I'm talking about? All right, the warning label on these, this is awesome. It says, not to be used while driving. It's a detail you might need if you purchase one of them this year. See, this is parents. This one's for you. The stroller. The warning label says this. It says, remove infant before storing. <laughs> Take the baby out before you put the stroller away. Now, some of you just went, time out got a lot easier in my house. I just figured out what I'm doing. All right, and my favorite. This is my favorite one in this entire list. Does, it, does anyone own a chainsaw? All right, a few of you guys, all right. So on a chainsaw, the warning label articulates that you're only supposed to hold the handle of the chainsaw. Now, I don't know who thinks that it's a good idea. You know what? I got to chop some wood. I got to cut some limbs off here. I'm going to hang on to the blade portion of the chainsaw to make that happen. That's just not a good idea. 
You see, because the closer, there's no relational closeness there, so they have to articulate the details. Have you guys ever had to go to the grocery store for somebody else? Okay, you just get on a run. Seriously, this happens to me all the time. I'll be out, I'll have a meeting or whatever, whatever's going on, and I'll get the text from Rachel, and she'll be like, hey, can you stop and pick up some milk? Hey, can you stop and pick up this or that? And it's relative, it's an easy task. I just got to pop in somewhere and pick up a gallon of milk or two and go home, right? Now, let's say Jordan, the guy who was playing keys earlier today, sends me that same text. Hey, hey, bud, can you grab some milk for me? I'm going to look at the wall of milk and say, what color? We've got red. We've got dark blue. We've got light blue. We have pink. We have orange. We have vanilla soy. We have almond light vanilla. You know, and it's just all these different types of milk. I have no idea what he's articulating when he says, hey, can you get me some milk? But when my wife says it, it's easy. It's a no-brainer. I know exactly what type of milk to get so I can stop in, go home right away. You see, Jesus' focus in our lives, I believe, is relational closeness. Because as we get closer to Jesus relationally, the details don't need to be spelled out to us individually. He doesn't have to fill in every single detail of use and purpose because he's close to you relationally. And I believe that as we look at this text in Matthew chapter 8, what's happening here is this, is that Jesus is trying to teach his disciples that it's okay to not have the specifics, to not have the details, but instead lean in relationally and the details will become clear. I mean, when you think about this, this verse starts out so good. It's Everyone's doing what they're supposed to be doing in this moment. Like Jesus gets into the boat, right? Jesus is leading. He's he's, he's taking his disciples. He's saying, we're going into this boat. He leads. Jesus is leading. He's doing exactly what he is supposed to be doing in this moment. His disciples are doing exactly what they're supposed to be doing in the moment. They're following Jesus. And then Jesus goes to sleep. A storm rises on the waters, and the disciples panic. It's this moment of panic, this moment of dread that they allow to rise up in their hearts that I really want to expound on today and dig into because what I don't understand, what did they think was going to happen on the water? Most of these guys were professional fishermen. Over and over and over again in the Gospels, we see these stories about how they stayed up all night long fishing. You can't be a professional fisherman unless you spend time on the water. These guys would have been used to deep water. They would have been used to storms rising up on the sea. They would have been used to navigating this area. Everything should have been normal for them. But something about this one moment caused them to panic. And I believe they had an opportunity that day to to choose bravery in the midst of chaos, in the midst of a storm in life, in the midst of a situation that was outside of their control. They had an opportunity to choose to live with faith that Jesus said they were going to the other side so they wouldn't make it. They had an opportunity to to allow bravery and courage to rise up in their heart and say, we're not going to face, we're not facing this storm alone. We know Jesus is with us. And I believe we have that same opportunity, that same choice to make even today. 
We have a choice if we're going to allow the storms and the fears and the chaos of life to dictate our faith. Or will we choose to live courageous faith in the midst of the storm? It's an opportunity we all have. Because the reality is that you weren't meant to stay anchored to the shore. When I look at this passage and I think about what, what did they think was going to happen? I mean, Jesus led them onto a boat. They followed Jesus onto a boat. Boats sail. I mean, guides fly, Christians, we walk with purpose. It's, it's, just, it's doing what it's meant to do. There's a purpose in that. But the reality is some, some, for some reason, the disciples became so afraid in this moment. I mean, these were professional fishermen cowering in fear because of a storm on a sea that they had probably sailed hundreds of times. Why? What was it about this one? So they go through and they, they wake Jesus up in their moment of fear, in their moment of panic. They wake up Jesus. And this, verse is, this next verse is amazing to me. In verse 26, it says this, And he said to him, and he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? I want you to pause just for a moment. I want you to look at the order of the, the events in that verse. Jesus rebukes his disciples first and then the wind and the waves. Like think about the, the order that Jesus put that in. Think about that. I mean, there's a, an amazing story. The message actually calls them when Jesus, the message translation, when it articulates what Jesus says, actually refers to them as cowards. He said, why are you such cowards, such faint hearts? Jesus' primary focus will always be on the condition of our hearts before it addresses the external circumstances we're facing in life. He addresses their heart issue. Why are you cowering in fear? Why are you such faint hearts? Why are you being cowardice in this moment? And then he addresses the storm. We have moments where storms and waves are beating on our life. But I promise you, Jesus will always first speak to your heart before he speaks to your storms. And it's in that moment that we have to choose to live bravely. I believe that these disciples were working with an assumption. They were living with an assumption that because Jesus was with them, they wouldn't go through a storm. And at the moment their bias was exposed, they didn't know how to cope with the situation anymore. They had this bias in their mind. They had this presupposition that Jesus is with me. There won't be any storms. My life will be smooth. The seas will be calm. Everything will be right. Everything will be good. Nothing will go wrong. And I'll, it will just be smooth sailing on these waters. And when that wasn't their reality, they didn't know how to cope with it. They didn't know how to connect their present storm with a living God who's all powerful. They didn't know how to extrapolate those two things and to make it make sense. But the reality is Jesus wanted to take them through the storm to the other side. Now I get not knowing that. 
His disciples knew it. As, as you go on and read the story that Jesus, beforehand, Jesus actually says, we're going to go to the other side. So why was there fear in the storm? When God has spoken something to us, we need to hold on to it and not allow the storms, the chaos, the pain, the confusion of our life to cause us to release what God has spoken to us. But in fact, in those seasons and in those moments of trial that we don't know what's happening and we're confused because this person who said they loved us now is asking for a divorce, this job that we adore now and put us on um, paid leave or unpaid leave or all these things that, that could happen in life that we just struggle with coping with at times. Those are the moments and those are the seasons when we need to lock our eyes and lock our hands around the truth of what God has spoken to us more than ever. His disciples had this opportunity. You know, when we're comfortable, we assume it's God. But when, when disaster strikes or when difficulty arises, we assume that God cannot be in the midst of it. You know, Franklin Roosevelt said it like this, that calm seas never made a skillful sailor. There are storms that you're going through, that I'm walking through, that people around us are walking through. And the intent is not to capsize us, but the intent is to make us better. And our question, will we face these storms bravely with courage and faith built up in our heart, eyes locked on Jesus, moving, taking ground, going to where he's called us to go, or we will allow the storms of life to cause us to shriek back and not be all that we can be in Christ. It's a choice we get to make. You see, because I believe that these disciples took their eyes off of Jesus and locked eyes with the storm. But here's what I would tell you today. That the absolute best things in life are found on the other side of maximum fear. Now I know the, the easy response in this moment is this, is that I'm not afraid of really anything. Now, I'm not talking about, you know, like spiders, like you have arachnophobia or something like that, or snakes or whatever thing it is, or heights, whatever thing you're, that's just kind of the normal fears. I'm not talking about those things. I'm talking about the things deep down in our hearts that we're afraid to admit. That we're afraid of financial ruin, so we, we hold on to our resources and we hoard them with, with, without being generous. That relationally, we, we, we see people that we want and know need a touch, and we know that we need to invest in them relationally, but we keep them at arm's length because we're afraid of being hurt. So we, we keep our love, we keep our kindness, we keep who we are to ourselves so that we're not hurt by that person. We're afraid of stepping out and reaching out and being a light into a situation because we, we've been burned before and we don't want to be burned again. So we, we shriek back and we hold on and we don't walk in the fullness of courage and the fullness of faith that God has called each of us to. The best things in life are on the opposite side of your worst fear. About four years ago, my wife and I, Rachel, we were... In this season of life, we really didn't know what we were doing. We both had incredible jobs that we loved. We had grown up at a, a local church that was awesome. And all of these things, it was just great. Life was good. But we kept coming back to this feeling that, that something's not right. 
I mean, you know that feeling, nothing's wrong, it's just not right. And you're just wrestling with that. And, and as we would take car rides, they would turn into hour-long car rides, you know, through the hills of Southern Ohio and Indiana. And we're just talking and trying to articulate what we feel, like the whispers of the Holy Spirit, what he's speaking to us in the moment. And as we're trying to articulate these, the inarticulate, we keep going and we keep asking ourselves the same question over and over and over again. What would be the scariest thing God could ever ask us to do? And every time we looked at each other and we said, plant a church. That's taking all of our security and putting it out on a big risk. But as you have that conversation, it's just, it becomes normal. You start saying, you start having that conversation and then, well, what, what would we call the church if we were to ever plant a church? And every single time we lock eyes, we look at each other and we go, we call it Radiant Church. It got so, so it got touched to the point where I actually tried to buy the URL Radiant Church and um, David beat me to it apparently. So, <laughs> But I remember the moment in, in and when he called me up in uh, two, 2015 in November and he said, hey, um, Renata and I are planting this church in Kansas City. And I would, I would love for you and your family to pray about being a part of it. And I looked at him. I didn't know any of this at the time. I, I looked at him and said, well, what are you going to call the church? What's the name of the church? And, and he said, Radiant Church. I actually, this is, I promise this is a true story. I start laughing over the phone. I start just laughing. And um, David, in all of his grace, he's like, well, is, is it a bad name? Like, we're really early. We can change it if it's a bad name. Like, we, it's okay. Like, we'll buy a new URL, you know? It's like all this stuff. And, um... So I said, no, not at all. Don't change the name, please. And I started to articulate him, this, the, our backstory, that we had been pioneering an internship and we had been doing so many things and we kept coming back to Psalm 34, 5, which says, those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never put to shame. And about 10 days later, we, we FaceTimed him and Renata. They were at a Chicago airport. We were at our, our home in Cincinnati and we say, we're in, we're gonna run. We're gonna be a part of Radiant Church. But in that journey, it meant resigning our jobs that we loved. It meant stepping out in faith, selling a home, moving somewhere where, to be entirely honest, we'd only driven through a handful of times in our entire lives and completely uprooting our family and everything we knew all the safety and the security that we had worked to establish in our lives was gone at this point. But on the other side of fear, the best thing in life waits. I'm telling you, this church has been such a blessing to me and my family. We have been changed. We have grown. We have grown closer to the Lord and to each other because of the people that God has brought into this house. And I'm telling you, the best things in life they are on the other side of your fear. We just have to be willing to go to the other side. The disciples, as they were processing this with Jesus, they, I mean, this storm could have been exhilarating for them. 
I mean, think about that. They're in a storm with Jesus in the boat. Think about this moment for them. They had his choice. They could have, Peter could have been standing on the bow of the boat, winds, rain, waves, just crashing upon him, just having the time of his life, living a fully exhilarated life in the midst of the storm because literally Jesus was right there with him. It was tangible. It was real. He knew Jesus was there. He could have been living with such bravery in this moment. But he chose to become a slave to fear. I love that Jesus told them that we're going to the other side, that they're taking the boat to the other side because there's a reason why they were headed to the other side. It wasn't just a random trip. It just wasn't to escape the crowds. There was a purpose. There was a destiny. There was a man that they had to interact with. So as they go to the other side, they interact with this one person it's this incredible story. It's this man who lives among the tombs. They said no one can tame, no one can control this man. Jesus and the disciples come. They interact with him. Jesus sets him free in a moment. And the man goes, I want to follow you too, Jesus. And Jesus looks at him and says, no, you're not going to follow me. Here's what I need you to do. I need you to go back where you came from and tell everyone about what I've done in your life. Now, where he goes is called the Decapolis. Now, for most of us, that just sounds like a funny name for a town, right? But in reality, historically, the Decapolis was about a 10-city-state region, essentially the first mega-city in history. And this one man was charged with going and spreading the good news of Jesus to all of it. Think about what would have happened if the disciples would have chosen to stay anchored at shore. Think about what would have happened if they would have chosen to succumb to their fears and not made it across. When you look at your life, when I look at my life, who is waiting on the other side of your fear? Who's there? What sphere of influence? What coworker is waiting for you to share, to press through your fear of sharing God's love with them? What family member is waiting for you to step through that fear and not, not shrink back at the storms and the things that make you afraid, but to really reach out to them? How could Kansas City be impacted? How could your family, how could your workplace, how could this nation be impacted if we just lived out this bold and audacious faith that said we're not going to allow fear or circumstances to dictate to us our terms of faith. But instead, we're going to allow our faith, we're going to allow our courage, our resolute belief that Jesus is who he says he is to dictate how we walk this world. There's two very different outcomes but I believe your world, your sphere of influence, people are waiting for you to live a courageous life. Not a slave to fear. Not a slave to what people think about you. Growing up, I was really, actually, I grew up really, really insecure. Um, I have this, uh, I, I work really, really hard to be right. Um, it's true. So I just, I just, oh, my goal in life is just to be right. Um, it works out great relationally at times. Um, 
But that, I think that stems from when I was a, a junior higher, a high schooler, I was a young man, I really struggled with this insecurity and the way that I combated it was with being right. And, but when I became a Christian at 18, all of a sudden the Holy Spirit got started working in my own heart and it started articulating things in places that I was trying to, essentially I was trying to row my own boat out of the storm. There was something that he was trying to do inside of me and I was trying to in my own strength to get through it. But just like the disciples, I was not able to. But what happened in those season, in that season, is that the Lord started speaking particular verses to me as I was, I was reading his word, just devouring it. And there's verses that just kept coming into me. So I started taping them on my dash. I started taping them, not over the speedometer, over different parts, but um, just I started taping them everywhere. I was sticky noting Bible verses everywhere to where I would just start memorizing all of these verses like the righteous are as bold as a lion, but the wicked flee when no one pursues them. And I just started repeating these verses to myself, just building up my own faith, saying that if this is what the righteous look like, then this is what I have to look like. And I started to allow the convictions in my heart to dictate my emotional response to situations. So now my primary concern is not being right. My primary concern is to live with conviction. And that conviction will lead me through storms and seasons of difficulty and times when I don't know what to do. My convictions will lead in those moments. And your convictions can lead you. We can't go through life looking for the smoothest path and the calmest water. And I believe there are times when you need to avoid conflict, but I believe there are times in your life when you just need to have eyes locked on Jesus and saying, this is where he's called me to go. This is who he's called me to be. And I am going to walk directly in that path. I'm not going to be discouraged or dismayed. I'm going to live with a resolute confidence in who I am in Christ. And I believe that's what God wants for each of us. You're called chosen. You're a holy people is what the Bible says. Because of that, we can walk through any fear we have in this life. We just have to choose to. Jesus will not fail you, even when you can't see the shore. There are times you can't see the outcomes of your situations. But if Jesus is with you, you will make it to the other side. I love in Hebrews, it actually says it like this. It says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. It doesn't matter if you can't see the shore. If God's with you, you're making it to the other side. There's a reality in that. You could be on the verge of something great but you can't stop. We can't allow the storms to diminish our faith. See, I think our natural tendency is to, is to be like a rock on, the, on an ocean front, a cliff, whatever terminology you want to use, but the, the waves just hit the rock, they, the, the wind and the rain, and they hit the rocks, and slowly over time, the, the water, the storms just erode the rock to where it's no longer firm, it's no longer adamant. It's actually just the smooth kind of surface, when in reality, I really do believe that that's not how God has called us to live. 
that when we're 50, 60, 70 years old, that we can be more resolute and firm that Jesus Christ will take us through every storm of life than we were in our 20s and 30s. That our lives can be living testimonies of the faithfulness of God, his strength to bring us through each and every single situation that we encounter in this life. There's a firm resolution in that. He will bring you through it. See, the disciples were living in this kind of dream scenario that if Jesus was with them, there would be no storms. I believe that Jesus was trying to impart in them an action-oriented way of life. See, they were, they were living in this dream. I believe Jesus was trying to make them doers. You know, I use this language that there are, there are people who watch and there are people who do. You guys all have those friends. If you just think through them, you're going to go, makes perfect sense. This guy's always watching me do stuff. This guy's helping me do stuff, you know? I believe Jesus was really trying to move these disciples in from watching him do ministry and in them doing ministry. Sarah, um, Sarah Bat. Ban Brannick said it like this. He said, the world needs dreamers. I would articulate vision. The world needs people with vision. The world needs dreamers. And the world needs doers. But above all else, the world needs dreamers who do. You see, when you look down the halls of history, it's marked not by the people who dreamed, but by the people who took their dreams and put them into action. Martin Luther King Jr.'s I Have a Dream speech wasn't powerful because of the speech itself. It's powerful because there was a man who was living out his dream and taking action to achieve his vision. There has to be action to go along with our dreams or else they won't come to pass. And I want to encourage you, there are, there are dreams in your heart. There are passions. There are things that God has called you to do as an individual, as a family, as a church, as a small group. But what happens is we actually have to start taking steps in order to accomplish those dreams. We can't hand them off and hope that someone else does them. The reality is God has placed things in my heart. God has placed things in your heart. And if we are willing and able to live faith filled, courageous lives, lives of bravery, we're going to see God do what he's called us to do. That we can make a difference. That we can have an impact on Kansas City. We can have an impact in our families. We can have an impact in our nation. But it takes stepping out and not just having a dream, but doing the dream. See, I love the story of Peter. I love the arcs of individuals in the Bible. Anytime I can read an entire lifespan of a person or close to it, I love it. I love seeing the arc of that person's life. And we get to see so much of Peter's life. You know, I mean, he was the disciple that was constantly putting his foot in his mouth. I mean, the Bible doesn't say this. I kind of believe the disciples looked at Peter and were like, who's going to wake Jesus up? Hey, Peter. <laughs> if he's mad, it kind of comes your way anyway. You know what I mean? It's like this moment, like who's going to wake Jesus up? Who's going who's gonna to say, hey, we know you're sleeping, but it's, there's a storm. He goes from this moment, this man of fear in the boat. 30 years later, we get this other glimpse of Peter. It's no longer young man, young leader, 
no longer fisherman Peter. Now it's 50, 60, 70 year old Peter. Look what he says. He says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice. And as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. Peter's going, listen, there's storms, there's chaos. There are things in life that are outside of your control. Don't be surprised by them. Don't don't freak out, don't panic over them. You don't have to. In fact, actually rejoice in them. Because the storms of life give us an opportunity to lock eyes with Jesus. As the writer of Hebrews says, he's the author and he's the perfecter of our faith. We lock eyes with Jesus. And he takes us to, through the storm. He takes us through the life, the situation, the circumstance. He takes us through it to the other side. So I went to the um, University of Cincinnati. Um, I have a business degree there, and I, one of the classes you have to take in business is like one of the prerequisites that everyone adores um, was economics, which I had to take a couple times for reasons I won't go into. But there's one particular theory of economics that I think was, is pertinent today, and I think something that Peter understood It's called supply-side economics. And it's this theory in economics that essentially what you produce is derived or determined by what's being sent your way in the supply chain. So if you're being supplied steel, you make cars, you make, you know, anything like that. Whatever you're being supplied is what you create. See, Peter didn't just say, rejoice in the face of storm. Look what else he said. He said, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence. Peter's essentially saying that God has supplied you with everything you need for life. So the product that we produce, what, how we make a difference, what we do with our life should be a derivative of what God has given to us. And what God has given to us is faith. He's given us the opportunity to live out courageous lives, lives of impact, lives that are changing and transforming from one image of glory to another through Christ Jesus. There's an opportunity that we have to lock eyes with him and allow our faith to become perfected as we walk through the storms and seasons of life when waves are are hitting our face and rain is coming down and beating us down and we don't know how we can continue to stand through a trial, through a situation that's outside of our control that we can't fix in our own strength. Peter is saying that as you lock eyes with Jesus, he has supplied you every single thing you will ever need to get through that situation. And all you have to do, all you have to do is lock eyes with Jesus and choose to live with bravery. All 
we have to do. Lock eyes with Jesus and choose to live with bravery. See, I believe that you'll never be fully committed to something, to someone that you don't fully trust. The next time Peter's in a boat with Jesus and storms on the water, you know what happens? Peter gets out of the boat and begins to walk on water toward Jesus. We see maturity in Peter. We see growth in Peter saying that, hey, last time Jesus spoke a word and the sea was calm. This time, if he's calling me and he's telling me to walk out to him, I'm going to do it. We see a progression there. And I'm asking you today, what are those areas in your heart? What are those areas in your life that you've been holding on to in your own strength? What are the storms of life that you're trying to row yourself out of and around in life instead of trusting that Jesus has called you and has taken you to the other side? If you would, I want to pray for you for just a moment. If you would, just bow your head and close your eyes. I truly believe that some of us here today are allowing fear to dictate our lives. We're allowing fear to dictate the purpose and the actions that we take in this life. That we're afraid of failing, that we're afraid of a financial ruin, that we're afraid of relational ruin. We're afraid of having our heart broken or being taken advantage of. And we're allowing that fear to dictate how we live our lives. First John 1 says this, it says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love cast out all fear. You can live a life of purpose. There are people waiting for you on the other side of this storm, of this chaos. And if you will live with bravery, you're gonna see an impact that you never imagined. So Jesus, I pray for my friends this morning. God, I pray that we will walk courageously. God, I pray that we will walk with a purpose, with a destiny in our heart, knowing that you have called us, knowing that you have chosen us, knowing that you have said that we will go to the other side. I pray that your Holy Spirit would just rise up in each and every single one of us, God. God, that we would lock eyes with you and we would choose to live with bravery. If you would like to follow Jesus, we'd like to connect with you on your journey. Email us at follow at radianchurchkc.com. If this ministry has encouraged you, we'd love to hear your story. Email us at mystory at radianchurchkc.com. If you'd like to invest in Radian Church, please click give on our website, radianchurchkc.com. Are you a young adult and interested in spending a year in Kansas City at Radian Church? Check out radianintensive.com. Thanks for listening to the Radiant Church Podcast.